Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Thank you so very much for joining us as we take a look at the book. The book of Revelation is probably one of the key passages of Scripture as it relates to Bible prophecy. I have a five-hour audio series on CD that is available. You can purchase yours and have your own study through the book of Revelation. It's entitled, Walk Through Revelation. That's the title of the five-hour audio series. And right now, we're going to take a moment and listen to one of the segments on this CD audio series, Program of the Tribulation, Part 3. This is the scripture that deals with what happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. I'll tell you how you can get your own copy of Walk Through Revelation in just a moment, but right now let's take some time for our Bible study. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here to continue our study of the book of Revelation. We come now to lesson number four. I want to talk to you and remind you, rehearse for you what lesson number three was all about. And let me do that by saying the next event in God's calendar of activities will be the rapture of the church. Jesus Christ will shout, the archangel will shout, the trumpet God will sound, and we'll be caught up to be with him in the air. Then unfolds a seven-year period of time referred to as the tribulation. It will culminate with the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming. Listen, the rapture of the church and the second coming are two different events, some seven years separating the two. The rapture is the next main event, the seven-year tribulation, and then the return, the revelation, or the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the first three and a half years of those seven years, we will have the seven-seal judgment. You have the Antichrist coming out as the first seal, All of the sealed judgments will be fulfilled basically in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. Also during that time, there will be two witnesses that will preach. They will preach from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and we believe that they will be Elijah and Enoch, one Gentile, one Jew, reaching out to the Jews and the Gentiles, which will be on the earth during that seven-year period of time. The first results of the preaching of these two witnesses will be 144,000 male virgin Jews that will be protected throughout the seven-year period of time, and they will travel across the world giving out the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, every single person on earth will have opportunity to hear at least the gospel of the kingdom and then have opportunity to receive or reject it. At the end of those first three and a half years, these two witnesses are going to be killed. They'll lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, at which time they will be resurrected and taken into the heavenlies. There will also, at the end of three and a half years, be a battle in the heavenlies. That's chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, and we are going to see a battle between the good angels and the evil angels. Michael, the archangel, commander-in-chief of the Legion of Good angels in the heavens will take Satan, that who was Lucifer before he fell, and then from this prominent position that he held, given to him by God, he rebels against God, he becomes the deceiver, Satan. 
devil himself, the one who energizes the Antichrist and also the false prophet, which makes up, of course, the satanic trinity. Well, Satan and all of his evil angels are going to be thrown out of the first heaven down to the earth. In chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, starting in verse 13, it talks about what is going to happen upon the earth. By the way, verse 12 of chapter 12 says that the heavens rejoice, but the earth will say, Woe unto me, because the devil comes down unto the earth, and he has great wrath, because he knows that he hath but a short time. Verse 13 of chapter 12, And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now that is apocalyptic literature, and it is referring to the Jewish people. Verse 17 of chapter 12, And the dragon, which we know as Satan, defined by chapter 12 and verse 9, The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, these evil angels thrown from the first heaven, that's the heaven right above us, the sun and the clouds, or the second heaven, which would be the stars and the galaxies. And they will be thrown to the earth, never to enter the heavenlies again, but begin to intensify their persecution against the Jewish people. In the last three and a half years of this seven-year period of time, the seven trumpet judgments take place. Remember, trumpet judgment five and trumpet judgment six will be the release out of the bottomless pit, the Totorus, uh, where the angels that committed, the evil angels that committed sexual intercourse with the daughters of men, recorded in the book of Genesis chapter six, they have been kept there now for some 4,500 years, and they will be released. They will also come to the earth. They will come in the form of locusts, not locusts like a grasshopper, but locusts with the head of a man and the face of a man, the teeth of a woman, the hair of a woman, the teeth of a lion, excuse me, and they will have a breastplate like horses running to battle, a tail like a scorpion that will be able to torment men for a period of time, and ultimately these 200 million evil angels angels will attack and kill one-third of the earth's population, and at that time, having already seen one-fourth of the population killed, that means about 1.5 billion people at our present demographics here on the earth, and these which will be killed will bring the total to half of the population of the earth being killed. So the seven trumpet judgments, with that seventh trumpet judgment in chapter 11, unveiling the seven vile judgments, which are talked about in chapter 16. The sixth vile judgment, verse 12 of chapter 16, uh, the drying up of the Euphrates River, that natural border between the Middle East and the Far East, making way for the kings of the East to make their way into the land of Israel to join with the Antichrist, with the false prophet, and with Satan as they go to Jerusalem to gather the armies of the world to take on the returning Jesus Christ and those of us who will come with him back to the earth, back to the Mount of Olives in the city 
of Jerusalem. And we're going to show you how the campaign of Armageddon, I don't refer to it as the Battle of Armageddon, because it not only takes place in the Jezreel Valley at Armageddon, but it takes place and actually begins in the city of Jerusalem. We'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, we need to talk about now what happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. It basically has been in motion throughout the years. For 4,500 years after the flood, the great-grandson of Noah, Nimrod, went to a location on the shores of the Euphrates River in the plains of Shinar, the Bible tells us in chapter 10 and verse 10, to a place called Babel, and referring to, of course, Babylon, which is used some 351 times in the Bible, referring to a location that was the headquarters for the one world government, the one world religion that Nimrod established 4,500 years ago. He established the one world government. He built a city. And of course, he was the king. Chapter 10, verse 10 says that that was the beginning of his kingdom. Now, you're not able to have a kingdom unless you are a king. So he was the one world ruler of a one world government that was headquartered in the city of Babylon. That's 4,500 years ago. And we will not have time to trace all of Babylon, but it comes back into focus again during the times of Daniel and Ezekiel. About 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, who had been the heir apparent, becomes the king of Babylon and the head of the Babylonian Empire. He takes Daniel and his three Hebrew buddies into Babylon for the purpose of training them in the ways of the Chaldeans. And that begins the times of the Gentiles, the Babylonian captivity for the Jewish people. There is going to be a second trip back into Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar and his mighty Babylonian army. That would be in 597 B.C. when he takes Ezekiel and about 10,000 Jews also into the Babylonian captivity. And then in 586 B.C., a third trip to Jerusalem for Nebuchadnezzar and his army. Uh, They destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the temple itself, and they take all of the Jews into the Babylonian captivity where they will be there for a 70-year period of time. And the reason, of course, for that is because the Jewish people failed to give the land, which God had told them in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, to rest the land every seven years. They had not done it for 490 years. You can read in Second Chronicles, chapter 36, all about this. And so God then allows the Babylonians to take the Jews out of the land for 70 years, and that would give the Sabbath rest to the land for that 490-year period of time, which they did not rest it. We read then in Daniel how the Babylonian Empire is going to fall. That's chapter 5 of the book of Daniel. And Belshazzar, grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, has come to power, and he's having a great big party for a bunch of his cronies, about a thousand of his best friends with their wives and their concubines, and they're in a drunken party at the palace there in Babylon. When he calls, you might recall chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, he calls for those implements that were used for the sacrificial system and the worship at the temple in Jerusalem. His granddaddy, Nebuchadnezzar, had brought them into the Babylonian captivity and placed most of them in the Babylonian 
temples, but there were some left, and so he calls for these vessels to be used to put their liquor in as they continued their drunken party. And it was that night that the Medes and the Persians would then defeat the Babylonians. This was an impregnable city. It had two walls around it with a moat between the two walls filled with water and alligators. The two walls, somewhere approximately 45 feet high, they were wide enough to race two of their chariots down the tops of the walls. Well, the party was going on inside, and the Medes and the Persians decided they could not climb the wall, swim the moat, and then climb the next wall and come down in the city to be able to defeat the Babylonians. So what they did, and let me just remind you, uh, that the Babylonians had all the water they needed because the Euphrates River flowed under the northern wall and out the southern wall. Well, let me tell you what happened. The Medes went north. They dammed up the Euphrates, which opened up basically a tunnel underneath the wall at the northern end. And the Persians went south. They dammed up the Euphrates, and it opened up a tunnel at the southern wall of this city of Babylon, this impregnable city. They came in. They defeated the Babylonians that night, and Belshazzar was killed that very night. That was the end of the Babylonian Empire. Let me make that statement again. That was the end of the Babylonian Empire. I'll repeat it one more time. That was the end of the Babylonian Empire. Now, of course, the reason I said that three times was I wanted you to know that was the end of the Babylonian Empire. But it was not the end of the city of Babylon. No, indeed. Seventy-five years later, the Bible tells us, it's recorded in Ezra chapter 7, that Ezra, the scribe, was living in Babylon. This is 75 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. Ezra was living in this city when he was called to go into Jerusalem to reinstitute the temple practices in the temple. And then if you look at secular history, 200 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, a man named Alexander the Great came to power. He defeated uh, the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire, and he moved into, at 32 years of age, he became the king of the world, the leader of the Grecian Empire, and he was headquartered in the city of Babylon. It was a strong fortified city still at that time, 200 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. In fact, Alexander the Great would open up the Euphrates River so that 500 gunships could make their way out of the Persian Gulf up the Euphrates River to Babylon. That was 200 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. You can go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13. Remember, Peter was on the Mount of Olives when Jesus Christ told his disciples, start here in Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, Peter indeed did preach in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. He went to Judea and Samaria, and then he started out for the uttermost parts of the earth. And in chapter 5, verse 13 of 1 Peter, he says, All the saints in Babylon salute you. Peter had actually gone to Babylon. Most likely he established the church. If not, he was a guest preacher at the church. And he said, All the saints salute you who are in the church here in Babylon. So Babylon was still a viable location, a viable city. In fact, in the days of Peter, Babylon was the second most populated Jewish city in the world, second only to the city of Jerusalem. 
We're talking now about 500 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire and Babylon was still alive and well. If I was to want to prove to you today that Babylon is still alive, I could introduce to you a man who is a participant on our weekly broadcast, Prophecy Today, a nationwide hour-and-a-half call-in talk program. His name is Colonel Bob McGinnis. He is an advisor to the Defense Department in Washington, D.C. He has been into Babylon because there's a military base. There has been for the last four years in Babylon called Camp Babylon. It's uh, the headquarters of a 21-nation multinational peace force headed up by the Polish military leaders. And, of course, if you watch CNN or Fox News, you knew that... uh, It was indeed a viable city when you saw CNN or Fox News, Araldo Rivera on Fox News. I saw him do a live telecast from Babylon. Babylon is alive and well. It has not been destroyed. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapters 13 and 14, and in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapters 51 and 52, that Babylon will be destroyed. Well, the truth is, Babylon has never been destroyed. Not as of yet, it hasn't. Thank you so very much for joining us as we've taken a look at the book, in particular the book of Revelation, and part three of the tribulation, what's going to happen at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. This is all part of a five-hour audio series on CD entitled Walk Through Revelation. You need to have your own copy. I do not go numerically through the book of Revelation. I teach it chronologically which is the only way you'll really understand this prophetic passage of Scripture. The book of Revelation, it's a must-study if you're a student of prophecy. You can call our toll-free number and get your copy of Walk Through Revelation, the audio series, by calling 877-674-3298. Now, that's a toll-free number from across America. That's 877-674-3298. By the way, you can go to our website and get a copy of this series as well. Prophecytoday.com is our address on the website. Go to our shopping mall and order your copy of Walk Through Revelation, a five-hour audio series on CD on the book of Revelation. I'm so glad that you could join us. And I guess, you know, as we study Revelation, we become more and more aware of the fact that Jesus Christ could come for the rapture of the church at any moment. Before all of the tribulation begins, he shouts, the archangel shouts, the trumpet God sounds, and we're caught up to be with him. By the way, that rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, there's nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until...